one might not think that a forest fire is going to affect uh, dolphins, but it actually does in this case. And if all of those things weren't bad enough, these specific dolphins are actually hunted and killed to be used as bait to catch catfish. To the Conservation Tribe, I'm your host Blaine Edwards, aka Earth Offline. On this podcast, I talk with a range of conservationists every single week, from scientists, students, creatives, innovators, and everyone in between. I hope this can be a platform for conservationists to share their story, educate, collaborate, and ultimately inspire action. So, if you want to join our Conservation Tribe, then make sure to hit subscribe and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to the Conservation Tribe. Today we are joined by Suzanne Smith, founder and executive director of the Amazon River Dolphin Conservation Foundation, or ARDCF for short. (laughs) Suzanne Smith, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Blaine. I'm very excited to speak with you. I'm very excited too. This is going to be a fun one. Like I've always been fascinated with river dolphins in general. And I think from memory, the first river dolphin species that I discovered or learn about through a documentary i think it would have been with david anderborough was the amazon river dolphin so yeah i'm pretty keen to have a chat and learn a bit more about them but before we do that can you expand a little more on who you are and what you do sure Uh, like you said my name is suzanne smith and as we've been chatting i am currently based out New Orleans, Louisiana, in in the United States. Um, But basically, we focus everything in Brazil. Um, But before I started going to Brazil, way back a long time ago, I got my uh, I got my start at the the New England Aquarium, which is a uh, world renowned aquarium in Boston, Massachusetts, where I was born and raised. Um, So I was fortunate enough to work with many knowledgeable folks with with a lot of expertise about marine mammals and I knew that I always wanted to work with dolphins and I have had the have had the pleasure of working at many marine parks and working in the field and I have run marine mammal and sea turtle rescue programs so I've I've had quite the gamut I've been very fortunate in my career and I've been working with marine mammals for about 35 years now Oh, lovely. So you mentioned that you've always been fascinated with dolphins in general, but what, I guess, was the spark that inspired you to start the organization Amazon River Dolphin Conservation Foundation and work specifically with that species of dolphin? Like, Was there a, a spark that led you to that? There, there was, and it, it's funny because the first time I went down to the Amazon and went down to Brazil, I was with another, I was with an environmental group, but their focus was on fish. I just happened to go with a friend of mine to support him and it was a great project, but I was just there to lend a hand and, and, you know, and check out the Amazon. And while I was down there, I saw these, I saw these dolphins and just became completely fascinated because they are the wildest looking creatures. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't seen it, you've seen them. So Blaine, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and I was hooked. I was like, what, what the heck is going on with these animals? So that that just became uh, my journey for the past uh, for the past seven years. Yeah, I mean they are interesting looking animals. They've got 
Okay, let's start with that. So for those that aren't familiar with the Amazon River Dolphin, what are they? You know, and I love talking about them because they are, you know, everybody knows dolphins. Everybody knows Flipper and thinks of these yeah. cute dolphins with a big smile. And the Amazon River Dolphins don't look anything like that. Uh, they are very prehistoric looking. They are about six to seven feet long. Uh, they weigh about 300 pounds, uh, which isn't too off the mark for some of the dolphins that we know. But as you look a little closer, um, they have that beak at the front of their face, which is called the rostrum. And it's really, really long. And they have over 100 teeth. They have two different types of teeth, which is very unusual uh, for dolphin species. Um, most dolphins or porpoises have either cone-shaped teeth or spade-shaped teeth. Uh, and the river dolphins have both. Uh, as you know, uh, dolphins are mammals. And uh, one of the characteristics of mammals is that they have hair. Uh, yeah. And people don't realize that dolphins are born with hair on their rostrum. And it typically falls off shortly after birth. But river dolphins are the only species that keep their rostrum hairs all the way through adulthood. So they wow. have a lot of really neat things going on. And of course, you know, the last thing to mention, but certainly not the least, is when they are born, they are gray, but they are known as pink river dolphins because as they get older, they turn to pink. Yeah, so that is the so they go by a couple of names, don't they? So you've got the Amazon River Dolphin, Pink Dolphin, and then the the Boto. I think is that how That's you pronounce correct. it? That's what, yes, exactly. Yeah. So with the pink part, how so they're born gray and then they turn pink, but why? Where do they get that pink color from? So there are a few different reasons, and there are a few different philosophies and theories. Um, there are definitely, you can see the different shading in, throughout different areas of the Amazon. But the males tend to be more pink as they get older and come into maturity and they are vying for either territory or females. They fight a lot. And as they fight, um, they can scar one another on their, on their pretty sensitive skin. And so that's just scar tissue. And then, of course, as the rainforest floods and they're swimming you know, against the trees and whatnot, they can get pretty scraped up that way too. And that also, that scar tissue will then turn off pink. Ah, interesting. And so with the river dolphins, there's a few different species, aren't there? And in South America alone, there are a number. How many different species? Um, there are a few are there? different species. Um, and one was actually just discovered only a few years ago, um, further further north from Brazil. So you know, it just kind of goes to prove, uh, you know, how much has just been uncharted and undiscovered you know, on this great planet. So, mm. so you got a couple of different species. Do their ranges kind of like over overlap, or do they have their own kind of territories? They pretty much have their own range. So, where we are based out of, and where we do all of our research and whatnot, we only see one particular species of the Amazon river dolphin or the boto. But there is another type of river dolphin, which is completely different. And that is sometimes called the Amazon gray dolphin. Uh, mm. And it is also known as the Tukushi uh, locally. So mm. there's another type of dolphin down there as well. Yeah. But the Amazon river dolphin has the, the, the largest range out of all of them, don't they? And it's the, yeah, also the largest correct. species of river dolphin, isn't it? Correct. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. 
Okay. And one interesting thing that I read was, so in spring or at a certain time of the year when I guess there's more rainfall and the, the Amazon floods a bit, it kind of turns it. So they've got the river dolphin, but when it floods, does the Amazon kind of turn into like a, a jungle sea almost? Absolutely. Uh, <sighs> it, so it's really cool because people don't realize the the Amazon River can rise and fall anywhere from 30 to 40 feet. So that's Whoa. pretty drastic. And if you imagine, you know, the, the banks of any river, now imagine that water level going up so drastically high, where is it going to go? It goes into the forest. So that's why when you hear the flooded Amazon rainforest, that's, that's what people are referring to. Um, it's flooded because the water has risen. That's just that time of year. So it's pretty cool. You can be sitting in a canoe in the middle of a forest and all of a sudden a river dolphin will just swim right past you through the trees. That is so cool. So <laughs> 30 to 40 feet, the, the river can rise or fluctuate between that yes. and that. That is just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And so, it, it goes, it goes so fast. It, it's, measurable by just your eye when you're just when you're just coming and going almost daily you can notice it wow that would be pretty amazing to see a river dolphin in a sea in the jungle like it's wild (laughs) (laughs) so i had always heard about it and i had never seen it until a couple of years ago and in literally i was sitting in a canoe and (laughs) this river dolphin just went Swimming on by in the forest. <laughs> got a couple more questions about, I guess, the physical characteristics of the dolphin as well. They've got a, a kind of a bump on their head, like they a do. quite so prominent their melon, bump, which is like their forehead. It's pretty bulbous. It's kind of like this big round bubble. It's certainly far more pronounced um, in the Amazon River dolphins than some of the other dolphin species. And what does what purpose does that serve? Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. I haven't read anything on that in particular. Yeah. Um, but if I had to guess, um, you know, it may very well be connected with their echolocation um, because that's how they send out um, their sonar and then they receive the sound back in their lower jaw. Since it is so difficult to see, uh, depending on where these animals may be at any given time or, you know, if they're swimming in the jungle. Um, mm. but I don't, I don't have, I haven't seen any papers yeah. on, on the melon study specifically. Okay. Okay. But the, I imagine their, so their eyesight is probably not, they can, they they can, can see? actually see pretty well above and below the water. Um, okay. the Rio Negro where we go is pretty dark water, but it's clear. So and again, just depending, you know, it can be kind of silty at times too, depending on, on where we are at. Um, so even still, they need to rely heavily on that echolocation so they can navigate around and find fish and, mm-hmm. and get through the forest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And so how many of these animals are left in the wild at the moment? That is a great question. So they predict to be a couple of tens of thousands. Um, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't until just in 2018 or up, excuse me, rather up until November of 2018, they were declared data deficient, which means nobody really had any idea. 
And then in November of 2018, they were finally officially declared as endangered. The Amazon River dolphin faces a lot of challenge, and there's um, some areas where they're being killed. Uh, a couple thousand of them are being killed annually, and we can talk more about why. But So it's very difficult to know what kind of numbers we have, but we know how much we're killing them. So uh, we definitely need to heed that and uh, do what we can to stop it. Yeah, so that endangered status was a fairly recent thing. It was, yeah. yes, only only two two years ago. Mm. And I guess that just goes to show the importance of you know people studying these animals and getting that data because an animal that currently is considered like data deficient that could be critically endangered. That could be endangered, and and obviously we don't want that. Hmm. Okay. So what are some of the people to wrap their heads around like if we use 20,000 as an arbitrary number that doesn't sound too terrible but if you take poaching hunting pollution illegal mining uh and the list goes on you know that that 20,000 can dwindle very quickly Mm -hmm. yeah so you just touched on it there but could you expand a little more on the the threats to the amazon river dolphin Yeah, for sure. So there's definitely deforestation, habitat degradation. Um, There is pollution. There is overfishing. There is there are gill nets. um, There is so much boat traffic. uh, You you know, there are the forest fires, which doesn't which doesn't sound like it would affect the dolphins, except we've just now talked about dolphins living in the forest. So. One might not think that a forest fire is going to affect uh, dolphins, but it actually does in this case. And if all of those things weren't bad enough, these specific dolphins are actually hunted and killed to be used as bait to catch catfish. Okay, so there's this deliberate killing there. Yes. I've also read somewhere that they can often be seen as kind of competition to some fisheries. In some places, is they, that like they isolated that. cases? They, that's isolated yeah. cases, and that's completely yeah, and that's a completely separate issue. But they use these dolphins as bait. They go out and they use machetes and harpoons, and they kill these river dolphins, and they use them as bait to be put in a big wooden box, and that's how they catch the catfish. Mm-hmm. And then they clean the catfish. And the demand for the catfish is coming from neighboring countries. It's actually not from Brazil. Mm. So they will clean the fish and then they will export it to other neighboring countries. Mm. Um, But there have been some studies and they believe that there's uh, close to 2,000 dolphins being killed in some small areas per year. And that's just the hunting. Okay, so that's 2,000 per year in just one location and from one thing. That's Mm -hmm. a lot. That's a lot. And that's why it's so important to um, to know what kind of numbers that we're dealing with. And part of the reason that we do population surveys, Mm. um, because the Amazon is so huge, right? It's thousands and thousands of miles long. So we have to kind of get a handle on uh, what the numbers are and what we need to do to save them. There's kind of a lot of there's kind of a lot of working parts to to this whole to this whole project. So mm. so yeah, part of what we do, one of our many projects is a population survey. Yeah. How does that work? How do you how do you operate that that survey? How do you get that data? What does that look like? 
it looks like myself and an assistant <laughs> and whoever else we may have at the time uh, sitting in a canoe in the very hot sun counting dolphins. <laughs> it's pretty much exactly uh, how it sounds. There are methodologies that have been used for decades on how to conduct population surveys. And we follow a lot of that, um, a lot of those scientific methodologies uh, right in the Amazon. And we cover an area of about 30 kilometers. Yeah. Um, and of course, I, um, I work with um, many Bra Brazilian residents and um, I have I have an amazing crew and they grown up on the river. So they know a lot of these little intricate waterways and know where we can go to find even more dolphins. But considering such the like how I guess how big the range is when you're when you're on the canoe counting these dolphins, is it like a matter of counting how many are in a particular area? And then you compare that to the, you know, the total area of the range. And then this is kind of like a calculated guess from. From there. Is that how it works? I just have no idea how it works. No, it's okay. No, that's a great question. So for this particular for this particular method, we are counting just in a particular area and we don't use it against any other areas. Okay. There are some population studies going on in different areas, but the landscaping just changes so much. And even even talking about the way that the water rises and falls. The water may be high at one end of the river and may be low at the other end and then can shift. So the numbers might be a little bit different um, from one time to another. So, for example, when we do ours, we generally do our population surveys June, July and August. Um, so it's a consistent water level. Um, we know pretty much where the dolphins are going to be and where we can find them. Um, and it's kind of like a, we follow almost like a grid pattern. So okay. we don't duplicate where we are. We know our patterns. We know where we need to go. And we know the area that we're going to cover. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of trying to help this species, what's some of the work that you're doing at the Amazon River Dolphin Conservation Foundation uh, to conserve <laughs> and protect this animal and its habitat? Yeah. So definitely one of the big things that we work on is the population surveys because we mm -hmm. don't have an idea of how many are in this particular area. And that's, like I said, in conjunction with some other studies throughout the Amazon, uh, you know, we can all come together at the end and compare, share and compare data, which is always important for scientists to work together. Um, because we do, we need to keep an eye on the population status and really get an idea of what we are dealing with. In addition to that, while we, what we actually started doing right away was a photo identification catalog. We have a lot of dolphins that are very well known in the area. So we have kind of this, uh, this photo album, if you will, of particular individuals. And then that way from having that, we get a lot of information from that too. We can tell where they are going. That way we can tell their range. We can start to learn about site fidelity. We can see who's interacting with who. We can maybe, you know, learn more about foraging patterns and foraging strategies. So there's a lot that we can get just from the photo ID catalog. And then in addition to all of that, we, um, we work very closely with the Riverside communities which is super important because they need to know 
why the river dolphins are so super cool and why they are so extremely important to the entire ecosystem. So we kind of have all of these things working together simultaneously. The folks are just as much of a part as everything else. And as everything has kind of developed and moved on, we are now also going into um, collecting drone footage because the river is so big. Uh, we started using a drone a couple of years ago to see mm. if that can help us a little bit more, if we can get into other areas faster, if we can see more animals that we might not be able to see from the surface. And we've also been able to purchase some hydrophones. So we're collecting a lot of audio recordings as well. Okay. And what's that audio recording kind of, yeah, what's, what's that, I guess, function for collecting so, that? So there's a lot of things. Um, so we know a lot about, uh, we know a lot about audio recordings from, Terceops, which is the bottlenose dolphin or the common dolphin. Yeah. One theory is that we might be able to do population studies with just hydrophones or mm. in conjunction with because every dolphin has different calls. So we're trying to decipher those and figure out what we are actually hearing because we will make observe, you know, we will take behavioral observations. Um, and write those while we're doing the population surveys and while we have hydrophones in the water and we can record what we're seeing at least from the surface and then we can match that with the sounds that are going on underneath. Um, and we are working with a college here in Florida that is that specifically uh, does analyzes audio recordings of cetaceans. So they've been starting to pick those apart. It's been pretty cool. So hopefully we'll be able to do a whole lot with that. Yeah, interesting. I like that. It's like, um, so you're collecting this data and then you've, you've got these audio recordings and then it's a matter of, you know, how can we extract some kind of value from this and help connect the dots? But it begins with, I guess, taking this, collecting this information in the first place so that you have it Correct. and then trying to connect the dots from there. That photo album one's quite interesting. Who can add to that? Is that something that, I guess, someone that's going on a river cruise, a tourist who takes a photo, is that something that they can add? Or is this specifically the people researching this area? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in fact, we do, we try to do at least two eco tours per year. Um, and during that time, um, I have I have my group spend 10 days on a boat, uh, which is pretty cool. And I take them to the conservation areas where we do um, all of our research and people can absolutely collect pictures. Um, and that is very helpful. And of course, you know, we have the, the Brazilians down there that we that we spend so much time with and they can collect a lot of things for us, too, even when we aren't there. Okay. One thing that you mentioned before was, you know, working together and collaborating with the local communities and what, and one challenge is, I guess, convincing them of the importance of wanting to protect this animal in the first place. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that? Because it seems like, you know, it's really critical to be both parties are working together, I guess, towards mm -hmm. a common goal. Yeah. How do you manage that, that, that conversation? Um, you know, it's just, it has started off very slow, purposely. It has started off that way because they don't know me. Um, I am a foreigner in their land, and just because I have all of this, all of these years of experience working with dolphins and other marine mammals, doesn't doesn't give me license to just go in and tell them what to do. Um, 
So it's been purposely, it's, it's kind of like a first date, you know, <laughs> when you go out and you meet somebody for the first time, you just don't lay all your cards on the table. You, you know, you kind of, there's a little back and forth, a little give and take. Um, and that's what we have done down there. And, and the folks have, have done the same thing. Um, and there has been a lot of trust, uh, you know, built up on both parts and they've been amazing. They have, they have absolutely welcomed me uh, with open arms and they have welcomed me into their homes and they share their lives with me, with their families. And it is, and it's been beautiful because without that, then, you know, we can't, we can't really move on with the project. We can, but I certainly wouldn't consider it a success. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just important to, to have them be a part of everything. And we all, you know, we all work in unison together. I think unifying that unification is really important. Even from a practical point of view, a strategy probably will only be sustainable if, you know, everyone is on the same page and, and it wants that to happen in the first place. That sustainability part is quite important. Um, the art, like what points, are there any specific points when you're, you know, having that conversation that resonates with these local communities. Like when you say something, we should protect the Amazon River Dolphin because of X, Y, Z. Are there any kind of points that they resonate with specifically? Like, okay, yes, that's a good point. You know, let's let's do what we can to make this happen. Um, I'm not sure that there have been any points exactly, but it's very, um, there's been a great way for them to, you know, when they see me and they know that they know that I'm down there for the dolphins and what has become a very happenstance when I go down there, everybody wants to tell me about the dolphins. They get really excited and they'll <laughs> say, Oh, you know, we saw dolphins over here last week and we saw dolphins do this. And we saw a baby over here with this dolphin that we didn't know before. And so I think they just get excited in sharing it. Um, and that relationship has kind of grown not only between the people, but for them, it's almost like they look after the dolphins and they don't know that they really are almost in a way. Um, I started a couple of years ago. It's definitely a part of the project, but it, it's kind of my own little, my own little side project. I go and I record their stories Ooh, and I say, cool. I say, just, just tell me about the dolphins. Um, there's a really cool legend um, about the river dolphin and they believe throughout the Amazon that the river dolphin is a shapeshifter. So they believe that the dolphins can change into a man and they come into a village at night and they are always wearing white and they always have a hat. They're always wearing a hat because it's the hat that covers the blowhole. And the river dolphin comes in, and this strange man, this handsome man, and he charms and seduces the women of the village. And they are seduced and lured into this underwater enchanted world. And the next morning, they are gone. Isn't that just lovely? That um, is so cool. And so I've started to collect stories like that. And, you know, it's interesting because there's um, I, I've always kind of wondered where this where this myth and this legend has come from. And there have been some theories behind it. Um, you know, it could be as simple as 
someone drowned, or maybe they were pulled underwater by a caiman, or who knows what the case may be. But I've had women tell me stories about, uh, you know, about a child that they lost, and they think that it's because of the river dolphin, or, um, you know, this girl disappeared, and they think that she went into an enchanted world. So I, I record a lot of these stories, and it could be something like that. And that's usually from the older women, the elders in the village. But then the younger ones, like the new generation, they will just tell me these other stories. They know that I'm looking for dolphins. Sometimes I have kids jump in my canoe and want to take me <laughs> and show me where they are. So there's a lot of really neat stuff going on. That's so interesting. I'd love to hear those stories especially getting the the diverse range of them as well. Yeah. You know, perhaps like bad and good associations with this this animal. And then also comparing the older generation to the newer generation, younger generation mm-hmm. and comparing the differences in the stories about the same animal. Yeah, my uh, my very first trip to Brazil, um it was early in the morning and everybody was still sleeping. I had slept out on the beach and um, it was kind of just an early morning. And I saw out in the distance, I saw these river dolphins and I, and they looked to me like they were feeding. So I started to walk down to the river and I, you know, I kind of put my ear in the water so I could hear them. And I started to go out further and further because maybe I was getting, maybe I was getting lured. Who knows? (laughs) Um, But sure enough, and I kind of just went into this other, you know, into this other world and I didn't know anything that was going on around me. And this elder uh, woman came running down the beach, screaming, her arms flailing in the air. And, and back then, my very first couple trips, I did not speak any Portuguese at all. Uh, and fortunately, I was with a friend of mine and I, you know, and he woke up and everybody else started waking up. And I said, I don't know why she's screaming at me. I don't know why she's screaming at me. And when he stopped to listen to her, he kind of got this smile on his face and he said, she's worried you're going to get taken away by the dolphins. She wants you to get out of the water. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then there are little kids who like to go swim with them. So there's really quite a vast difference between the generations. But they are safe too. There's no harm, is there? No. I mean, they can get bitey, you know, but their bite is not necessarily aggressive. They might just be testing you out. And that's And think about like, that's what they do with one another. So um, yeah. it's not always aggressive. It certainly is a form of aggression, but um, I haven't seen any aggression with these yeah. guys. Yeah, but which I mean is fair enough. If they want you to get out of there, they'll give you a little bit of a nudge. <laughs> but it, it seems like you know they're a pretty big animal. If they really wanted to do something, they definitely absolutely. have the capacity to do so. Absolutely, yeah. If they want to hurt you, they absolutely can. <laughs> yeah, I like this story project. I definitely think there's a lot of um, yeah value, and it would just be really interesting. So, so yeah. neat. Yeah. 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 It's also would be a good tool in terms of from a conservation point of view, like an, an issue I find from hearing to a lot of people is just that awareness and um, how do we get people to care and learn more about this animal. And a big part of that communication process is telling it through a story because people like having a story. So if you can you know, integrate these real world stories and then link it back to you know, conservation and um, this awareness aspect, I think that's quite could be quite an effective way to yeah c- communicate these things about this animal. I like it. 
Absolutely. And some of the animals, because they are known, they do have names. And I think that helps people a, a lot too. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. You <laughs> touched on the, the eco tours. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and perhaps, you know, the role that they may play in terms of actually helping to protect uh, the Amazon river dolphin and also just the, the Amazon ecosystem in general? Yeah, for sure. So I try to do at least two a year. I like to do a high water trip and a low water trip. And I take about up to about 20 people with me and we go on this glorious boat, two people per room with your own bathroom and air conditioning after you've been out in the rainforest all day. <laughs> um, and we take canoes with us. So we do a lot of early morning excur excursions. We do nighttime excursions. And of course, while the river dolphin is our main focus and a lot of our focus with conservation and whatnot. We do take people to the research areas and you will see the river dolphins and there you'll hear all about them. But you're also going to go snorkeling and we're going to tell you about a lot of the different fish species. You're going to see birds for days and days and days, all kinds of birds. Uh, if you're interested in birds, we see sloths. We go fishing for piranha. Um, we do these beautiful rainforest hikes. And then we also go into the communities too, because like I mentioned, they're just as important. And I want, when people come down, I want them to see these riverside communities and realize what their life is like. And we may go into a community that relies heavily on fishing. We may go into a village that relies heavily on arts and crafts. So this also plays a big part into the eco tour because, of course, once you have hands on and you see it, it, it becomes more tangible. Right. And you can see you can see exactly what it's all about. And it's really difficult. I would challenge anybody to come down to Brazil into the rainforest and not fall in love with it. And, there, and there's something for everybody. So whether it's coming to learn about the river dolphins and being able to help out with the purchase of, you know, some of the equipment that's really expensive. It could be just you buy some really cool arts and crafts. You buy some wood carvings that help out these folks. Um, I make it a point for myself and the groups, you know, we never, we never just bring in cash. We, you know, we just don't ever bring money and they don't want that down there either. They, they are take these, they take such great pride in their, in the forest and in their environment, but also the work that they do, whether it is these really cool wood carvings or maybe they, maybe they take acai from the trees. And they, they have a big, they can sell you a bag of acai, which is so delicious. But that helps support their villages and their communities. And that is all worthwhile because that prevents them from going out and in becoming a part of the agriculture or the illegal miners that are there. It keeps them away from those activities that are so destructive to the rainforest. And yet it still helps them uh, live a sustainable life and support their families. Yeah. And you mentioned, so two eco tours you try and do a year. When do you do those? And, and how can people learn more about it and 
potentially book one of those tours? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, we're all in the midst of COVID and we had to cancel two trips this year. I have tentatively two trips on the books next year. If everything is back up and running, we tentatively have one in June and then we will have one in October. Um, but that is on our website and you can also contact me directly through our website too. And as those as those trips come online, uh, we put all that information right on the website. Okay, so go to your your website and and they'll have some up to date information and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, but tentatively yeah. two next year. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, everyone. Fingers crossed. And June, October, and did you say so? Each of those is like a low water tour. June, and- high water high water and then october the the water will be pretty low yeah okay oh i want to do the the high water one that'd be crazy blaine it'd be great to get you to come to the amazon i know you love it uh it's on the on the bucket list one day soon that's for sure it would just be a dream it would be a dream and the jaguars as well can you how do you see jaguars um in my area I have seen the footprints, oh, um, the potprints. I think the footprint would be enough for me, I think, to be fair. Tell, I was just going to say, you know, it's, I, and, I, and I always tell myself that it may have only been the paw print, but A, to see the size of it, and then oh. also know that, and think about this, there is a very distinct possibility that that jaguar could have been up in a tree somewhere just watching <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, that, like, I think that's so cool. And like, getting goosebumps just even just to they could be right that. there, and you would never know. Um, yeah. So they are certainly around. But I've had some folks um, who will come do my trip, and then either before or afterwards take a few days and go to like Pantanal, mm-hmm. um, where you can definitely see, see jaguars that. all the time. So, mm-hmm. but day, yeah, they're out there. They're yeah, out yeah. there. And my crew one day saw one swimming across the river. Man, they're, they're my favorite big cat species. As well. Interesting. South America, there's just so so much to so much to see. So much to see. Um, couple more questions. How can the general public help protect this animal? I mean, you mentioned like the ecotourism. Is there any other ways that they can help? Definitely the eco tours can help a little bit and then Also, you know, they can donate right through our website, right through the page, uh, because sometimes our our needs are ever changing, right? Sometimes our camera equipment might be fine, but we need to exchange out a hydrophone or like I said, those cameras, those field cameras, we use a lot and we need the zoom lenses and they just, they just take a beating. You you know what it's like being out in the field and they take a beating and the, all of that stuff is very, very important. We also, it also can go to employing our Brazilian assistants and, you know, renting canoes and, and things of that nature. And like I said, Keeping them employed also helps because if they're not making money also, and they might be from Manaus, they might not even be right from these Riverside communities. Um, but if they're not making a good living, uh, an honest living, then they may have to turn to something else mm-hmm. that is very detrimental to the forest. So we like to support them as much as we possibly can. 
So that's why the donations are so important. It can go to a myriad of things. And then, of course, you know, there's just the the everyday stuff, you know, your, your reduce, reuse, recycle, all of those good things. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely ways that people can help. But those, those are the two biggest for us, for the river dolphins. Okay. And for those that want to learn more about the work that you do and, and um, help out and anything like that, where can they find you? So the easiest is our website, which is ARDCF. So Amazon River Dolphin. Mm-hmm. conservationfoundation.org and you can also find us right on facebook as well we have an instagram as well but the website certainly has the bulk of the information but we're pretty we're pretty active on our facebook page too okay your facebook page is your your main social channel mm-hmm. okay cool i'll add all those links in the show notes and when i promote it on social media before i ask the final question is there anything you wanted to touch on that we haven't yet Um, talked about that you think the listeners might find some value in no you know i think we've we've hit all the big spots and i think um even though everyone knows the amazon i think it somehow gets overlooked and there's all these kind of like weird and mysterious stories so people tend to think of it and think of it in awe but kind of shy away from it and I would encourage people to to go and visit. It's a beautiful country with beautiful people. And there's so much. The flora and fauna there is just absolutely outstanding. And, you know, if if river dolphins are not your thing, that's okay. Come on down because there are monkeys everywhere. Who doesn't who doesn't want plenty to of things to see? <laughs> plenty of things to see. Um so I would just encourage everybody to to make it on down there. Yeah. That's an interesting point that you just mentioned. Like most people know the Amazon rainforest, mm-hmm. but it, it's such a big thing. And even though heaps of people know about it, they, they may not necessarily, I don't know, think that it's a realistic thing to see in, in the real world for whatever reason. But Yeah, it doesn't seem attainable to a yeah. lot of people. Yeah, but um, everyone knows about it. YouTube, yeah, we have a YouTube channel that has a lot of um, testimonials from people who have been, which I think is really helpful yeah. uh, because an, an, I think another, uh, you know, uh, something that works against the Amazon are some of these crazy movies, right? <laughs> they kind true, of, true. you know, I don't even think we need to mention any, but there are some Sometimes with people, you just say the word Amazon and it conjures up a lot of fears and, oh, I don't want to see this and, oh, I can't do that. It's, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> Come on down. That's that's a really real problem there. I just did a, a podcast not too long ago with Andy Cornish who deals with sharks and we had mm. a similar conversation, This uh, this the perception that people have of sharks which is often informed by these movies and these tv shows and you know which isn't yeah. which isn't actually the the reality and that's actually no, that perception yeah that <laughs> perception course. is harmful to that animal like it doesn't want people to want to protect it you know if they feel afraid of this either this animal or this thing you know what i mean so as content creators because i'm obviously in that space of content creation just yeah having this awareness around what you're putting out there and how that perception if you're in the conservation space how that perception could either be a good thing or a bad thing for conservation Mm -hmm. okay absolutely 
Final question. Um, what message do you want to leave the listeners of the Conservation Tribe? I think, you know, I, oh, goodness. I always, I always get caught going back to the Amazon River dolphins, but I have to. They're just, they're a very, they're such a neat species and they are so unique. They play such an important role in the Amazon rainforest and yet there's still so much that's unknown about them. So I would love for everybody to just go and learn more about the Amazon river dolphins because the more you know, the more you become vested in that and the more you want to do to help and save and conserve. So I hope everyone goes and checks them out. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please feel free to subscribe. And if you want to be an extra legend, then please also leave a review. It really does help grow the channel. Thanks again, and I will see you in the next episode.